do that and uh, forget the money uh, because if you say that getting the money is the most important thing you will spend your life completely wasting your time you'll be doing things you don't like doing in order to go on living that is to go on doing things you don't like doing which is stupid better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broken Tangent Animation Podcast. This is episode 6 and this is a very special episode. Um, We were actually reached out to for this episode Mike Tanzillo, uh, one of the co-founders of the Academy of Animated Art and his other co-founder Jasmine uh, reached out because they're listeners and followers of the podcast and asked if we could do a episode together. And of course, I had to say yes, had to say yes. We got to speak with Mike in this episode, and he is a an 11-year veteran at Blue Sky Entertainment as a lighting artist, and uh, where he pretty much lights shots uh, after they've been animated, uh, probably during the animation process or there before, before they're finished. Um, and also supervises large sequences. One of those sequences most recently would be from the movie Spies in the Skies. Uh, if you go to the Academy of Animated Arts Twitter page, um, he has a whole sequence that he did on that film that is just mind-blowing. We got to talk to Mike about the, some of the feature-length films that he's worked on, like Ice Age, Epic, Rio, Peanuts, uh, Spies in the Skies most recently, and we talk about what is it that his school offers that's different than going to like a large art university. We talk about leadership in the industry, we touch on uh, feedback and how to give feedback and and what kind of practices uh, we like to use when giving feedback to our students or people that hit us up for for opinions on their work. This was a Skype call, (laughs) so you can imagine that uh, the quality is not a hundred percent, but I tried to clean up and edit everything that I could. So please forgive the uh, occasional break in conversation if some of the words were inaudible. Uh, I blame Skype. I apologize if some of the voices are a bit hard to understand. A couple of of weird moments where the audio tries to catch up to the conversation. But I did my best to clean it up and edit as much as I could. We had a great conversation with Mike and we were very appreciative of him reaching out and getting in touch with us to do this. I'm going to be trying to make more content as much as possible. This is an ongoing thing uh, and it kind of ebbs and flows with how my how my life is going and and my situations with work and and all that good stuff. So hit that like button and hit that subscribe button. Here is Mike Tanzillo, co-founder of the Academy of Animated Art and a lighting artist at Blue Sky Studios in New York. Thank you again for checking us out at the Broken Tangent Animation Podcast. Uh, Again, please stay safe, healthy, and sane out there during this quarantine. Um, And as always, go support an artist. Be kind to one another. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Broken Tangent Animation Podcast. Bye. So hello and welcome to the Broken Tangent Animation Podcast, episode six. Today we've got a special treat. We are here with co-founder of the Academy of Animated Art, Mike Tanzillo. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? 
I'm doing well. We're all in uh, self-quarantine out here, as, as I'm sure you're aware of, and we're just kind of hunkering down and, and animating his home as much as possible, pretty much. How's life on your yeah, side of the yeah, world? Yeah, that's what we're doing. I mean, uh, I live in Manhattan, so we are in the same... It's absolute crazy times. I hope everyone's safe and sane out there. Absolutely. Yeah, if you guys get the chance, please stay away from your friends and family, even though you love them so much. Keep washing your hands and keep being safe, everybody. Yes, absolutely. Now, Mike, you're currently working at Blue Sky as a senior lighting specialist? Yes. Yeah, so I've been at Blue Sky for 11 years. I've been in the lighting department that whole time. Uh, currently, I'm also helping out with, we are changing pipelines a little bit. So oh. I'm heading up a the studio-wide global training initiative right now. But my main job, my main bread and butter has been uh, a lighting artist for about the last 10 films is there. I've got questions about pipeline changes already. Um, are you guys <laughs> using using Maya? Or are you guys using something else to do your lighting in? Well, historically, what we've done is we have, well, Blue Sky started as a company that had a proprietary renderer. It was designed around this renderer called CGI Studio. It was the first ray trace renderer in, in the world. And we were founded, I it was, it's been 30 years now. And when they first started, they did commercial work in, uh, in and around New York. And we kind of grew from there. We did an animated short called Bunny uh, back in the late 90s, which won an Academy Award. When that happened, um, 20th Century Fox was looking to get into feature animation. They saw that. They bought us. They bought Blue Sky. And uh, we started making And that's when we made Ice Age. Um, and then they've been working since then. So... For the last 29 years, Blue Sky has worked on a renderer called CGI Studio. Okay. Now, animation and everything else was done in Maya. Effects were done in Houdini. Okay. But then all of that information was compiled uh, after those artists worked on it into a language that could be understood by our renderer. And then it was passed off to lighting. Oh, wow. uh, and we're, we're changing all that up now. Yeah. Was that a lot of back end to after all the artists and everybody's done to have to convert it over to that pipeline? Was that just like a, a pain every every shot, every scene you had to do to, to convert it back to that that language? Absolutely. Oh yeah. boy. Yes, absolutely. So it was it was great and it definitely like the, the renderer was fantastic and it definitely had its positives. But that process of converting, crunching all the data down to the language with what the outcome was is anytime we had a change or in the end and we noticed an animation pop or a stray keyframe or something that we couldn't clean up. And um, we would send it, we'd have to send it back, make the change, commit the change. And then we would run it through that process, like I said, and based on the complexity of the shot could take a couple of days. So just making a simple animation change could take a couple of days. Oh my so goodness. So that was, that, was, that was a little painful. Oh my goodness. Now with, with that, would, would you guys are... have like animation lock early so that if you came across those issues, you'd have plenty of time to kind of troubleshoot down the pipeline? But the problem is, is sometimes you don't see that stuff until the final True. lighting starts to get put in place. So, and then, and then a lot of it too happens once you start things, seeing things motion blurred or seeing things mm -hmm. in context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you got a lot of good times ahead of you, sir. Put them all into a sequence. Now, before we, yeah. we, <laughs> we so, but that, that's how, that's how we did uh, every film up until the, the most. Oh yeah, no. So we, we've worked on right that way for our film one, which was Spies in Disguise. Okay. And now we are switching over to a brand new pipeline. Yeah. Hey, brand new pipelines. Nothing wrong with brand new pipelines. They transition easy, don't they? <laughs> oh, so easy. Uh, so yeah. easy. Just oh, a snap of the finger and everyone's up and switch. running. Old pipeline. Flip yes, switch. indeed. New pipeline. Yes, indeed. We're using USD files. We're using 
new uh, processes by Houdini and their new lighting package. So it's it's a it's a lot of experimental fun, but it's 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 def and and of course a global pandemic. Yes. Now before before we get into um, more of the blue sky awesomeness, how did you get into lighting? Was was lighting something you were into as a kid growing up, or was art your thing? Animation was it? Um, what kind of grabbed you to, to go that direction to lighting? Nope. No, I was absolutely not an artist growing up. I was a kid. Uh, I liked um, math and science. I was I was creative, but I never was very good at drawing. I was never encouraged to do anything artistic at all. I just played a lot of sports as a kid. Yes. Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do or opportunity to take a photography class. And that really, really connected with me. Ah. So when I went to college, I studied, I studied photography initially. And actually that's what I got my undergraduate degree in. Oh, right on. Um, but then, yeah. And then, um, in a typical 22 year old fashion, I got out and I said, I'm getting jobs as a photographer and I hated it. I love photography. I still love photography to this day. I just don't like working as a photographer. Those are two very different things. And, um, so I was a little lost. And then I watched uh, Finding Nemo, the behind the scenes in the bonus yes. uh, features on the video, like designing the look of the lighting for this film based on motion for the scene and all the different changes that they were doing and all that stuff. So it was a, um, it was a very, very cool thing. And went back to grad school at uh, the Savannah College, got my degree there. And then I got a job at Blue Sky, which I had transitioned to. So that's that. <laughs> that's fantastic. I, um, they, when I went to art school, I went to the Art Institute of Orange County out here in California, and they kind of had us do a, a buffet-style learning where you learn modeling, rigging, lighting, compositing, animation. Um, and I remember getting into my lighting class thinking, oh, this should be a breeze. And then they started talking about the three-point lighting system and caustic lighting, and I was like, why didn't we realize this this, this was a thing? Um I loved on your Academy of Art, Animated Art website, I love this quote that you have of why we light. If you don't mind, I'm going to read it out for everybody. It says, animated films are born when skilled and passionate artists merge their talents to build a story within a universe of extraordinary possibilities. Designers dream up the world, modelers build the world, riggers give the world the ability to move, and animators make the world sing and dance. It is the job of the lighter to make the world beautiful, to give it shape and life and unmistakable soul. Lighting is about taking geometry and transforming it to create a setting the audience can submerse themselves into, thus allowing the film to take them on a journey. Ultimately, like all departments in the animation studio, the lighter's goal is to tell a story. Very well put. Very well put. Now, how do you take, when you first get a shot, how do you break down of what that shot's story is in, in the lighting sense? Well, that's a great question. I mean, every studio does it a little different. Blue Sky, in my experience, is we're, we're presenting animated. Uh, there's already materials on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fur is there. There's crust all there. So we're, but we're presented with a pretty gray palette of information. We then, generally, we work in sequences or chunks of the movie uh, that take place in like one. And the director will have an, a vision for it. And they'll say, OK, so these are kind of the emotional cues that we need to hit in sequence. And the art director will say yes. And this is kind of like the general color palette that we're going for. And they'll give us some reference or paintings or color keys or something along that line. Uh, it's then our job to listen to what the director is saying, what the art director is showing, and translate that into the final image. So lots of times it'll be like, oh, you know, there's this scene just needs to feel really romantic. Mm. So we need to add a the studio is there to tell a story and to hit the director's vision. So it's our and from there, 
it's of, of kind of dialing that in. I know, and then lots of times too, it's about, there was a couple scenes, there's lots of chase scenes. And actually in most animated films, you always end up doing a chase sequence or two. And one of the things that we learned in that was it was two points. And when the, the scene got more emotional, more dramatic, we, as they were running after each other, we shortened the beats of when they were running through light and shadow of the trees, like the light passing through the trees and the shadows and the leaves. And so when they were running and it was very dramatic, it was like light, dark, light, dark, light, dark, really, really fast. But when like the bad guy got swooped away or whatever, and the characters are just by themselves, they were still moving the same speed theoretically, but we just like eased the pace of when the patches of light and shadow that they were going into. So we can, we can play with the animation values of the lights too, to really, you know, Get the emotional beat of the film as well. Yes, yes. I uh, I always loved uh, when I was working on the Blizzard cinematics team. I would love cashing out my shots, letting it go down the pipeline, and wait a couple of weeks to see that final lit frame and see how much more the lighting just added and upped that animation and everything else in the shot. Um, always blows me away. Well, I got to tell you, the, the stuff you, the stuff you guys did at Blizzard cinematic, you are really fantastic. I know I I was always blown away by the work that was done on those little projects. So those are, those are incredible. So a big kudos to you and your, your team for that one. We greatly appreciate it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm no longer at the cinematic studio, but I've been, I'm still at Blizzard itself. Uh, I was working on cinematics for about seven years, and then I got moved over to one of the Heroes of the Storm video game teams to do some animation in the video game. Um, so I got a little bit of experience on the movie side and some experience on the video game side, and let me tell you, the difference between the two was staggering. Um, let me ask you about, um, about time. Um, do you, do you get a specific amount of time per sequence to get your lighting done? Or is it like, Hey, here's the sequence. You finish it up and pass it on when you, when you're done with it. Or is it a pretty, pretty quick turnaround for your team? We're looking at, you know, we, we kind of have a general from shot to shot, but generally speaking, we're expected expected to deliver during you know, peak production time, at least uh, three shots a week. So okay. three of the individual shots that can vary as you're, as you're going along. Like, so two shots of the sequence, uh, you're still figuring out a lot of things and those can take a little bit longer, but then once you've established the look of certain things, like the way the street lamps look or the way the headlights, the car look, uh, and then it's just a matter of adding the shot. So there's kind of two phases of it. We call it you know, through lighting where you kind of define the look. And there's shot lighting where you go through and get all of the surrounding shots to match up to that to those main lights, the, the main shot that you that you tried from the beginning. Okay, Mike, I was looking at your Twitter page this morning and I saw the sequence you shared from Spies in Disguise. Holy smokes! Um, I don't even know where to begin asking you questions on that sequence because there are so many things going on in that sequence, from the flashing lights to the neon lights on the car to the heads-up displays in the car the individual character yeah. lighting setups i'm sure um was that a was that a one person sequence yeah. or did you have multiple lighters working on something like that no we had multiple lighters going through a story change on the film okay so in reality we spent i spent over a year of my life on that one sequence um, wow. um kind of refining it in my so i had individual shots but my main job with that sequence was to figure out the uh, to help figure out the headlights and the police lights for the sequence. Um, so that yeah, that sequence has so many challenges in it, from flashing police lights to 
it's a nighttime scene in a city. So we had to propagate interior lights for all the buildings. Um, but, but from the standpoint of the police siren lights, I can safely tell you that I spent uh, a couple weeks just kind of uh, walking around Manhattan in, in the evening. And as I would see uh, you know, a fire truck or police sirens or something, I would just pull out my phone and videotape it. And I was just looking at lots of reference of flashing lights. And I had to create um, a system that animated all like 29 lights on a car. Cause I, I challenge anyone to go out the next time they see a police car or anything with flashing lights on it, pay attention to all the different lights on the vehicle and the different pacings and the different timings of it. And I put together, at first I put together a very accurate representation of what a police lights would look like when they're flashing. Yes. Um, and what, <laughs> it was too much. It was like, it was, it was way too fast and uh, frankly, I was afraid that it would give somebody a seizure in the film, and that haunted me at night. For real, for real. <laughs> so I slowed it. So I slowed it down a little bit and made it. Because one of the other things that would happen is you really wanted to feel flashing red, flashing blue, flashing red, flashing blue. Um, and what happens is if you have like eight different cars doing that all at once, uh, it just all kind of looks magenta. Like it's just like a magenta mess. Okay. So I had to craft a system that was like you could really kind of see that and feel that. But yeah, that I. I if anyone hasn't seen Spies in Disguise yet, yeah, go to the Academy of Animated Art Twitter page and uh, check out that sequence. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah, it is it is an amazing YouTube. sequence to watch. And is uh... and like I said, it's it's one of the most dynamic. Because then, you know, as we were going through and rewriting stories, the everything just kept getting added to it. It was like he starts getting, and then he goes under this truck and it spits out oil, and the oil catches fire. So now we need to do a giant flame, and we're like, oh my. I can just imagine your eyes oh and your God, mouth just getting wider and falling during those meetings. <laughs> because it was, I mean, that's the best. That, I mean, that's why I do this because you're given these challenges that seem like insurmountable. Yes. And then you work with a dedicated, you work with an extremely talented team, uh, and then you go through it and you solve the problem and you have this great result by the end. It's a, it's an incredible process. Yeah, I came out beautiful, absolutely stunning. Thank you. My next question for you would be, um, what do you think right now is the uh, biggest challenge of breaking into the industry, whether it's film or game? The biggest challenge of breaking into the industry right now is, well, I mean, we're about to see if this changes, but a lot of it is the locations of the studios. Mm -hmm. So you're in Southern California. I'm in New York. We're fine. But for so many people who live in other parts of the U.S., around the world, they don't always necessarily like live in a place where there's ample jobs to do this. I mean, it's definitely gotten better than when I started, but I think the, the, the locality of it and then the other, the other difficulty, the other real challenge is the um, short-term contracts that people mm, get early on. Yes. And they don't, they're not really able to kind of like establish roots, but I can tell you one of the, one of the things that I struggled with when I was first getting started and first getting into the industry, one of the challenges that I saw was that um, what I learned in school wasn't the things that animation companies were looking for when they were going to hire you, right? Yes. Like, there were things that I, I thought that I thought that everyone would want me to know, like specific renderer or specific software packages, and I would need to know them backwards and forwards. And then when I got into the industry, I realized that, especially the big studios, they all have have their own proprietary workflows, proprietary renderers, all that good stuff. And so 
when you come, like that software knowledge that you have doesn't matter. And that's actually, they're not even looking for that when they're going to hire you. What they're looking for is, are you a good artist? Because they can train you on the software stuff. They know that they have to, because there's no way for you to know what their proprietary workflows are. But they need to know, can you create a beautiful image? Can you tell a story through your lighting? Can you direct the viewer's eye? Can students and people just starting in the industry don't always have a And then the studios will take you from there. And that's one of the big reasons why we started Animated Art was because when, like I made when I was coming up, and it cost me six months of struggling to find my first job after grad school and frustration and just kind of like basically like a like a really bad time in my life. And I was like, and afterward I was like, oh, I wish somebody would have just told me what I would, some, what these companies were looking for. So yeah, so it, I, I we, we created the Academy of Animated Art because the online courses I wish I had back then. I couldn't agree more. I, uh, I graduated college, uh, my art school in 2003 and there was barely any online information about what animation was how to do animation and let alone what film or game studios were were using for animation i felt it was so much tribal knowledge back then um they just kind of went into it hoping for the best and yes same with the software like i i had grown up or went through school learning maya and my first job was with 3d studio max so the first two weeks of my job i'm already trying to learn a brand new software and the company, like you said, does not care whether what software you knew before. They just want to know, can you make your awesome art? And then we will show you whatever software that we're using. For sure. And because you, I mean, you've, now that you've learned a couple, you know that it's like, once you know how to do it in one software, you can pick it up pretty quickly in something else. It's all, it's all the same basic principle. Yes. Uh, just, you know, the button's in a different spot or it's called a different thing. So it's, it's pretty quick and pretty easy. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Now, when did you, um, when did the Academy of uh, Animated Art first come online? So we about six or seven years ago. Yeah, about six or seven years ago. And we came up with this, and it was me and my co-founder, Jasmine Katatakar. And what it was is we came up with this idea, again, that would actually help you job. It was focus that you need to have on your demo reel to get you a job. Because what you know in school was, again, what people are looking for when they're reviewing. And now I've been in the industry for over a decade, Jasmine as well. We've been in all the reviews. We've sat with the supervisors and the recruiters, heard what they've had to say, and we've heard the things that they were looking for, and we were like, man, you teach them what to put on their reel. Uh, so we started that, and we, we had a couple goals with it. Like we wanted, so Jasmine and I both shelled out huge amounts of money to go to graduate school to learn this stuff, and, and that seemed ridiculous because we spent the first several years of our careers just paying off student loans, and we didn't want people to do that. We wanted this to be something that anybody in the world could access. So we designed a system where, well, first off, we, we, we kept it affordable. Like I said, our, our entire lighting system and lighting package is, uh, you know, it's under $2,000. We have a payment plan where it's just like 199 bucks a month versus $46,000 a year, or $60,000 a year it is for, for graduate schools. And the other thing that we do is we know that everybody has their own lives in different time zones. They're all over the world. So we constructed our courses so they're not based on having to be present in a live session lectures are pre-recorded and then the basic setup is you watch a pre-recorded lecture at the end you then practice lighting on those assets and you submit them to our, like our online forum somebody from an industry professional usually jasmine or i will review the, review your work and give you feedback on what you're doing oh, that's fantastic i would have uh, very much have taken that course than the 60 some thousand dollars i spent on that college but that's just me uh <laughs> 
I still came out. I remember when I graduated, I thought that my demo reel was the hotness. And, of course, back then it was all VHS demo reels. So I went and I drove around all Southern California and dropped yes. off 20 different VHS tapes at 20 different studios and didn't hear back from a single one. And that's when I kind of realized mm-hmm. that um, not everything you're going to learn in your university is going to be applicable outside of uh, outside in the industry. You have to take the time and the effort upon yourself to really work on your skill outside of your, your schooling. Now that you've 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 made the courses. You've you've done college. You've been into the industry for ten plus years. Do you still go home and practice your craft? Yeah, I mean, it's I'm challenged to it from our students. So I always want to make sure that I'm up to date on the latest techniques and different software and that kind of thing. So it actually makes it kind of fun. And in reality, so one of the things that we do at the school is we create with an art director at Disney. He's allowing us to use some uh, characters that he created on his own. Um, she's modeling those and what we do is we put those in our asset library so anybody uh who you know you can you can purchase access to that just that asset library and every month we put in something new and then we have a monthly lighting challenge for that asset so that's fantastic my my challenge is is we have to promote this thing right yes so i usually have to light it myself so uh, depending on where I am, if I'm, if I'm crunching at work, maybe I'll have somebody else to, you know, we'll have somebody else do it. But usually I'm the ones, I'm the one lighting those and getting those ready. Also because I want to get a good, a good feeling of the ins and outs of it. So that when I'm giving feedback to students and to people who are submitting it, I can say, oh, you know what? I struggled with that too. And this is how I solved that. Or, you know, I could see where you are trying to do this, but what I found was that if you turn down the specularity and you do this other thing, then it looks a lot better. So yeah, so I am, my students keep me fresh and our lighting challenges keep me fresh every month. Perfect. Um, and I do, and I also, you know, like, I, but I do, I do think that you should find some balance in your work as well. So I try and do other stuff too. I take other art classes or, you know, I'll do woodworking classes and things like that just to keep myself off the computer and maybe away from the screen a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. Having that that healthy life work balance is huge, especially when you're working long hours in this industry like we do um, yeah, during those sure. crunch hours. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, with with all the feedback that you give to the students, um, I always get this kind of question because I know a lot of students either don't look for feedback off the bat because they're scared or nervous to show off their work, especially on like an online forum like Twitter, let's say. Um, what mm-hmm. kind of feedback would you have for students who are timid to kind of show off their work or get feedback from professionals? Well, I can safely say well, a few things. Number one, none of us were good to begin with. Like you are not alone in feeling timid about it. I definitely was there with you. But the fastest way to improve is to show your work, get feedback from professionals to know what they're talking about, and keep going through iterations. Because you're, when you're starting something new, if I started playing the banjo today, I would be very bad at it. And if I showed somebody my banjo tape, they would say, especially because, well, the other thing is, is like I'm, we're putting ourselves out there and saying, it's okay to be bad for us. We're here to help you. Yes. And we're, we're going to get you over that hump. We're not, you're not applying for a job with us. We're helping you get on that path. And, and the biggest thing that I tell them is this. So the hardest thing when you're learning is 
understanding. So the reason, like for lighters, right? The reason why they get into this is because they have this artistic eye. They have this vision and they can see something and they know it looks beautiful. And they think, I want to create beautiful things myself. So they see things that are beautiful. They want to create them themselves. They start creating them and they can see with their eye that it's not good enough yet. But they don't know how to share. And so if you're struggling with that, if you're in that gap where you're making stuff that doesn't live up to your expectations, you are exactly in the right place. And that's where we can help you. Because we can help you with techniques and practices and showing you what you need to do in order for your work to meet where your eye is at. Yes. Couldn't have said it better. Um, we'll give up. And if you're on your own, thanks. Yeah, no, if you're, if you're learning on your own, that's where you want to give up or that's where I wanted to give up was when I, I just like, you know what? I'm just not talented enough. There, I see all these other crazy good demo reels. I can't compete with that. And what you realize is that lighting, animation, it's a craft like anything else. It's a craft like becoming an architect or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. You're not gifted with the ability to do it. You have to practice it and you have to work at it in order to get there. And so it's just, and keep showing your work even though you're not scary and you'll get better, I promise. 100%. And to piggyback on that, like even once you get your first job in the industry, you're going to meet all these talented people in your studio who have had X amount more time of practice than you have already. And it's still, it was for me when I first got into cinematics, it was daunting to walk in there as this new animator trying to animate with these guys who've been animating for like 15 plus years at Sony already, 20 plus years at Digital Domain. And I'm walking in here as my first day going, um, I can animate a hand if you want me to animate a hand for you. But if you want me to animate this space marine shooting a mutilisk and jumping off a bridge, I might need your help a little bit. So I think right. that that learning is never, never going to stop. And I think that was the biggest thing I came out of with school is even though you're done with school, you still got to take it upon yourself to continue to learn and continue to reach out to people who know more than you and to get that knowledge. Yeah, and I think... That's that's great. That's very cool that you did that because, you know, it takes humility to even after you get a job and you're working in the industry to, to, to recognize the people that are better than you. And instead of being braggadocious or something, and that, that was where my my true growth came. And so, yeah, that's 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 true. The, the learning crops and it never ceases. And it's 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 it never does now let me ask you uh this question um <laughs> going through school we've all had those teachers or those those professors who were i'm going to say that weren't too good at giving positive feedback um how would you as a sure. as a professional <laughs> how do you present feedback to you students I, I tend to do the the critique sandwich as uh, a fellow sir wade effects is coined where you give a positive bit of information give some feedback on how to make your work better and then end it with another positive bit of, of information. Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely do that. The other recommendations that I have are to use your verbiage and use the words that you choose to talk about the work and not the person's work, if that makes sense. Yes. So when you say, when you say, when you, when you're saying, okay, there's either you need to make this brighter or you can say the image needs to get brighter. You can say to figure out a way. To it. And I think that is very important. If you, if I, I try to use the word wheel because I want to them and we're going through this together. So it's not 
it's not me critiquing them. It's us working together to make a better image. And the other thing, there's, there's kind of two different types of critiques that, that, that you can get. And I, I think of them as being like positive and negative ones. So negative ones are like, all right, let's take not quite as much that, not quite as much this, which aren't to make a better image at the end of the day. But the ones that I really like, the ones that I really enjoy are like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, and like, what if, what if instead of it like this, there was like a flashing light off to the side, off screen, that's kind of creating like this little bit of rim on it. And we can kind of like add that extra element. And I, I get so excited about those. Um, I know I was working on a film once where there were uh, characters riding on the backs of hummingbirds. And one of the things that the, the art director said, or my lighting supervisor, I can't remember. No, it was my lighting supervisor said this. They're like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if like the bounce like coming up from the character like kind of animated as the wings of the bird went up and down. Like, so as his wings are out, like, like think about it, it'll block more light coming up from underneath them. And then when he brings his wings down, more light will shine up. And at first I was like, come on, man, you're killing me. But, <laughs> but then once I did it and I saw what, like how that little bit of added thing can really, it's what more really makes your shots start to sing. I love that. So I try and balance, I try not to, when I look at a shot, like, okay, no, 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 this is too bright. This is too dark. This is too contrasty. This is too saturated. And instead I try and focus them. Okay. Last one. Cause I can talk about this all day. And the yes. last one is that I, I try never to give a note without, without justification. Mm. So like, if I just say, make this darker, I, I try to follow that up with like, okay, why don't we go ahead and make this area a little darker? Cause that, what that'll do is it'll allow the brighter character to pop forward a little bit. And re so it's not just, this is too bright. It's saying, this is too bright because it's not helping us tell the story that we want to tell. Yes. Having that, that reasoning to strengthen the feedback is very helpful. Very helpful. And that hummingbird shot I'm going to assume is from the film Epic. Yes. Yes, it was. Yes. Another fantastic film. You guys I love put that out. movie. I think that movie is great, but I, I know a lot of people haven't seen it. So I never, I, I'm very proud of the, yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, podcast, go check out that movie. It's super fun. Now, were you, uh, have you been um, supervising lighting since since Epic, or was it just on Spies in Disguise you've been the the, the, the lead on? So I, I was I've been a I was uh, never a supervisor. Okay. I've done I've led a couple sequences on Spies in Disguise and in, and in other um, uh, and other films as well. Uh, but now, yeah, I kind of I kind of jumped a little bit. So I went from being an artist. Uh, for the last year now um so yeah that's that's kind of been my career path right on do you do you have a preference do you do you tend to like more of the supervising on the sequences or do you prefer to be more of the artist doing the actual uh hands-on work you know i like i like uh, the leadership side of things okay. um mo mostly because I, I, it's a little bit usually the answer you get on those from people is that they want to they just want to be an artist that they just want to uh make uh, beautiful images and I totally agree with that but yeah. I also um, I, I also really like working with the team and bringing people together and figuring out what people are good at and what they're inspired by and putting them in a position to utilize their skill sets so that we can all come together and make a great looking sequence right so it's like if there's somebody that I've worked with and I'm like man they are so good at making a character's really beautiful. So I'm like, hey, 
So I need you to help craft these three close-up shots. And then, you know, this other person's really good at large landscape lighting. So it's like I put them in that role. So it's it's very, it's always great uh, for me, and I always get a joy out of uh, putting people in positions to be their best. Oh um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a lot of fun. That's fantastic, Mike. I love that. I love that because it's um it's hard to find um at least. I'm going to say several years ago, it was hard to find supervisors leads that would do that, that would help grow you up in your position and put you in, in situations that would help grow you in that craft. Um, I felt this at, at certain times back, back in the days, it was more like, here's the ball, run with it. If you don't run with it, we're going to talk about this after the show type of thing. Um, yeah, I've, I've always thought that was a mistake because – Whenever one of the things with, with any sort of leadership position, when you're, uh, it's, it's up, everybody has positives and negatives. Everyone has skills and, 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 you know, and weaknesses. So it's your position as, as if you're in the leadership role to put people in the best position to be successful. Cause everybody can be positive influences. It's up to you to put them in the right spot. Yes. Now I've got another another student question for you. If um if you were to recommend a person who wants to get into lighting but has never done it before, what would you recommend their first step being? Other than looking at, of course, the Academy of Animated Art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that should be step listen, two. <laughs> yes. So that'll be step two. So step step one for me is if I was if I was interested, if I was telling someone to get into lighting, I would have them uh, I, I, a big thing for us is learning about reference and like kind of dissecting existing images. So the first thing I would tell people to do is like go to a museum, go to a photo installation, go to somewhere where, where other people are making art and look at it strictly from a lighting standpoint and value standpoint, color standpoint, and, and start to break down, you know, allow, allow yourself to look at something and be inspired. And then stop for a minute and think, why am I inspired by this? What makes this look great? What are the things that are inspirational about this image? And then you're like, okay, cool. And then, and because it's 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 important to get an understanding of what it is about an image that draws you to it, so that you can start to recreate those elements. Because without it, you know, it's it's very easy to open a 3D shot and say, all right, I'm gonna start lighting, and you just start throwing lights in there. Yes. And there's here and there's bounce lights there and, you know, rim lights over here and, you, and it just becomes just a mess. And so having an understanding, it's okay at first to not know how to do that, but it's, it's important to start to start to train your eye to see the things that, that you're eventually going to create. You're describing half of my play blast scenes as me throwing in <laughs> some lights, throwing a, a temporary shadow to give it some depth and be like, yeah, this looks good. But why is it taking yeah. an hour and a half to render a play blast? <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty yeah, much it yeah totally yeah and then of course and then of course check out the all the lighting for animation bundle at the academy of animated art because we can take you the rest of the way from there. yes 100 percent. another student question for you if you could go back to talk to a younger you mike what would be the biggest piece of advice that you would give yourself it would definitely be to focus more on the art side of it and not the software that would be the biggest one um and then the other big one too would be, I thought, so I was always a pretty good student and I, there would be a job just waiting for me. And cause that's, you know, like just keeping, just, you know, keep getting your good grades and everything will be fine. Nobody even cares what, where you went to school. They care about, can you do the work? So I would have, I, I would tell myself to 
not focus less on the individual class assignments, but focus more on creating the type of work that I would make three and so four resources outside of my immediate school to help me out um, with the specific craft that I would like to going into lighting. Because I know I was fortunate enough when I was in school to have somebody who worked uh, at Rhythm and Hughes as a, as a kind of a lighting mentor, Okay. a woman named Bridget Gaynor, who is, who's fantastic. Um, but she never worked on like a feature animated film. So she didn't have that full experience. So I would say, and that's, that's kind of what I wanted to do. So, um, uh, I try, I, you know, I worked with her as best I could, but I, I should have reached out and found people who worked on animated films back then who could, who could guide me on my way. I was just like, I'm in school at this school. These are my teachers. Therefore, these are the people I'm going to work with. So, so that would be something there. Same, same thing. I was, I was stuck in that bubble of my university and just my, my immediate friends. Absolutely. Now, I also like to do, uh, Mike, I like to do a, an animation or an art tip of the podcast. Um, so my, my animation tip for this podcast is just adding a simple shadow to your character in your scene or in your play blast just to give your, your scene a little more depth and to give your, your character a little more life. Um, I just take a simple plane or a simple sphere and attach it to my COG or my root world. And just let that hang at the bottom of the scene and let that be my temporary shadow. And I get a lot more depth in my play blast when I'm showing the director to give a little more umph when I first show um, my, my first animation pieces. Do you happen to have a, a, a tip of the podcast you'd like to share for lighting or anything like that? Yeah, sure. So the biggest thing that I would say an animation demo reel or, or lighting a character, if lighting is your thing, always think about how your character is contrasting off from the background to get them to read. So if you have a cool tone character, you know, like uh, one of the characters from, let's say, uh, Onward, right? They're those blue guys. Like maybe put them over a warmer tone background to get them to pop forward a little bit. If you have a very dark character, like a very, you know, like a black dragon or something, you want to put them over a lighter background to get them to pop forward. So contrasting elements to get your character to read off from the background. That would be my, that would be my tip. Thank you, Mike. And now we've, we're coming up on the 45-minute mark. I've got two fun questions for you if you've got the time. Yeah, go for it. All right. Fun question number one, is pineapple allowed on pizza? Now, as you're living in New York, this should be a big question. Oh, my gosh. So off to the side, I think it destroys the pizza. And hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this because it'll just start another fight <laughs> about how you do not destroy pizza with pineapple. Yes, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And then what what is your favorite lighting in a piece of animation or film? Or I should say, what's your favorite lit piece of film or animation? I, I would say the opening of Wally. Ah. That the desolate such a atmosphere and environment there. I would I would recommend. I mean, that movie's probably 10, 12 years old now. Yeah. But holds uh, up great. If you get the chance to watch the first five, 10 minutes of that movie, uh, uh, it's, it's really, really So good. So good. Mike, do you have any self promotion you want to do? Any social media you want to send out? Any talks you've got coming up or anything with the Academy of Animated Art? Yeah. So, right now at the Academy of Animated Art, we know that everyone's struggling right now with the coronavirus. COVID going around the world. So what we're doing is we are uh, opening up. We usually we just do this. It's a special uh, one-time thing. Um, 
But usually, the our lighting for animation bundle now includes basically every, everything lighting related that we have. It's it's all set uh, environment lighting. Uh, we have an entire um, and then we also have forces uh, Redshift and Arnold, and we're building an Octane renderer one right now as well. All of that is included in our lighting for animation bundle. Um, additionally, if you would like to be a part of our Facebook community, go ahead and sign up there. I'm doing extra critique sessions, uh, extra live videos and stuff to make sure to interact with students so that, because we know everybody's quarantined right now and locked up and they're just looking. And some people are looking to use this time to build upon a skill. So we want to be there for you um, and make sure that, that you are uh, supported as you learn during this time. So, you know, we can't, we can't save the world, but we can help you get through this and, uh, and be a little more productive during your isolation. So that, that's, that's my pitch. <laughs> Fantastic. And that's at the Academy of animated art.com all one word. Yes. And we are on all the social media stuff. Uh, same thing. Academy of animated art. Awesome. Mike, man, thank you so much for reaching out and getting in touch with me so we could do this today. It's been a pleasure and thank you for Skyping in from back east and taking the time out to talk with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Please stay safe. Please stay sane. And uh, keep making that beautiful artwork out there. Blue sky. Thank you so much, man. And you stay safe as well. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike.